Amen. Praise God. We dismiss the youth at this time for your classes. And uh, God be with you and enjoy what the Lord has. Amen. At the end of the service, we want to uh, enlist some of the young men to help us with putting up an extra row of chairs at the front for Friday night's rally. We're going to use some of the chairs along the uh, wall in the overflow here in the prayer room. We might need a couple of chairs also from the music room. Hallelujah. We'll need some extra chairs. Praise God. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. My, my. We should be able to quote all of this by heart. And, uh, you know, if you think you've heard everything about Acts 2.38, you're wrong. Amen. There'll be always something new that you'll discover. And I'm still learning about Acts 2.38 from here and there, time and again. And uh, some people even have come to the point when I've heard, why do we have to just keep on going back to Acts 2.38? Now, nobody in here, this person's gone. They're no longer here. Why do we get stuck on Acts 2.38? No, we don't get stuck. We started Acts 2.30 because that's where the church started. We go on. We go beyond that. We go on to perfection, as Hebrews 6 tells us. But but the, the, the church begins in Acts 2, and the first message is Acts 2.38, and it's powerful, and it is Jesus who ordained it. And uh, before we get into the kingdom, you've got to obey Acts 2.38. Hallelujah. So I want to look at that tonight. I want to tell you 10 reasons why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan of salvation. 10 reasons. Everybody say 10 reasons. Why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan. I mean, universal means everybody, the whole world. I don't mean the dogs and the cats and the cows. I'm talking about people, right? Amen. Now, some people have said, preach to all creation, and some have taken that to the nth degree and said, well, you mean animals too? No. They have no faith. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 is where I'm starting from. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation." When they that gladly received his word were baptized, then, hallelujah, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Man, I'd love to have a revival like that. I just don't know where we put them. Hallelujah, we probably have to have, amen, we probably have about 20 services a day, and that's just about, you know, every hour of the day. And we'd need that many orchestras and that many ushers and everybody else. But God, bring it to us. Hallelujah. But we have a lot to do with it as well. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these classic words that we keep going back to. It is your word. It is your church. It is your message that you have ordained. And we pray, O Lord, that you give us greater insight today more than ever before. And above all, help us to keep preaching it, to be faithful to it, and help us to do our part in sowing this seed of life 
that will bring forth fruit unto your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks for coming to Midweek Bible Study. Bible study is important, as we shall see in just a moment as well. Hallelujah. It was good for the Jews who heard it in Jerusalem. I'm talking about Acts 2.38. It was good for them. It was good for the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. It was good for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. It was good for the, the uh, Baptist uh, disciples of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And if it was good for them, it was good for the apostle Paul who became the apostle to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3 through 21, if you read his own uh, words giving his testimony uh, he talked about how that uh, uh, Ananias came to him and said, Why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. It's not really literally meaning that he calls on him, but that the name of Jesus would be called over him in baptism. Amen. So whatever Paul preached in the New Testament was something that he himself believed, he himself experienced, and he himself has preached throughout the rest of his life that we shall see from some of his epistles. Amen. Uh, so Paul believed what he had experienced, that it should be preached to others, as we see in Acts chapter 19. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul is writing a letter to Titus, and it's, to, it's talking about this same message of the book of Acts that saved us. He says in Titus 3, 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and by renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing of regeneration. It's a new birth. It's regenerating new life in us. Amen. And it begins with washing, with baptism. And then, of course, the renewing of new life by the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul said that in Titus 3.5. So there are 10 reasons I want to look at tonight that I want to impart to you on why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan of salvation. Reason number one, it's the universal plan because it was the message that was preached on the day of Pentecost on the birthday of the church. You cannot go into the doctrines of the New Testament without going to the beginning, without looking on that first day in the book of Acts. We have to see what the first church, the early church taught, and what they practiced. They are our precedents. They are our example. They are our foundation. And scripture tells us so. That's reason number one. Reason number two is the universal plan. Because Acts 2.38 is the literal passage. Which says what we must do. It tells us point blank. Outright. Without any misconception. Without any kind of ambiguity. It is you got to repent means turn around 180 degrees. About face, repent. For, ask God for forgiveness of your sins. It's confession. It's, it's dying out to your past. And then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what Acts 2.38 literally says. And that is to everybody. Hallelujah. That message was intended for everyone. So that's reason number two. It's because it's exactly what, uh, what Acts 2.38 said. It tells us what we must do. 
The third reason is that it was the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy and instructions with respect to the message, the location, and the time. The message, the location, and the time. He gave by his instruction, and prophetically speaking so, where it's going to be. And if you got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Remember, Luke is the one who wrote not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. And it's written to the same person, Theophilus. And so Luke has a lot of good uh, uh, remarks to say that no other uh, apostle has in in the Gospels. He was a physician, and doctors are more meticulous and more aware of details. Hallelujah. And uh, I, I like Luke. In fact, like every one of them. Praise the Lord. But uh, every one of these four gospel writers has their own unique insight and gifting and, and their, their, their vision of, of what they saw. And it is, it is preserved for us by the Holy Ghost and moved upon them to write the things that, that were quickened to them that they would write down in verse of Scripture. And so Jesus is now resurrected in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we read in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. And that's the first five books, right? The first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and it's Deuteronomy. It's the law. It's the law of Moses and in the prophets, the books of the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Notice it. These are the words. Now, it doesn't tell us what the words were that he quoted and he expounded upon, but in essence, what's happening here, folks, is he's giving his disciples a Bible study. Think about it. And that's important because, you see, Jesus, here he is, the resurrected Christ, and just a miracle, witnessing the, the miracle of the resurrection was not enough to give them revelation with respect to Scripture. Christ had to teach them. And there's something in the impartation of that word, because word, hallelujah, is what is preached, right? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And through that faith and through that desire, as, as he's imparting knowledge to them, that they're getting revelation, because the very next verse for verse 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. See, it's one thing to know that, that Christ is risen. That's a fact. But now what do they do with it? Hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. These disciples had no idea of the big picture. They had no idea of the context of Old Testament scripture. So Jesus taught them and opened their understanding so they could see and understand what an important development this resurrection was. And as they understood the scriptures one after the other, they saw how it all linked together. They saw the context and the big picture. They said, aha! They understood. And what they understood eventually became for teaching the church and, and preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter utilized some of that teaching as well. And you see 
appear in his message in Acts chapter 2 before we get to verse 37. This quite well, he quotes from the Psalms quite a bit. He quotes from the prophet Joel, which he probably really didn't know and understand yet until Jesus conducted this Bible study and he opened his and the other disciples' understanding. So you see why Bible study is so important? Hallelujah. It's what we're doing here right now. We could have miracle signs and wonders, but those miracle signs and wonders doesn't necessarily bring with it revelation. Hallelujah. It's important for us to get the revelation of who Jesus is and what the big picture is all about. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And so, verse 45, then open he their understand that they might understand Scripture. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. Now, you know, there's another event that we get an insight to this, uh, this uh, kind of, of, of a uh, of an event where, where Jesus is asking his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, right? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he said, well, some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're somebody else. See, but yeah, but who do ye say that I am? And Peter is just thinking, and he's thinking, he's, you know, you, you know when, when, when Jesus asks questions, when God puts questions to us, or these questions come to our minds that are maybe motivated or, or they, they are they are. Uh, inspired by the Spirit to get us to ask questions. See, you're never going to get any answers to questions if you don't ask them. That's why with spiritual gifts, the the Apostle Paul says, by inspiration of the Spirit, desire spiritual gifts. You're never going to have spiritual gifts if you don't desire them. That's why we have to seek God for most everything. Right? That's why he says, seek, knock, ask. You just don't get anything in just wait. You know, God doesn't give you anything that you don't want. Hello? God will never give you anything that you don't want. And most of all, he'll never force it on you. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of desires do we have concerning God and the things of God? Are we interested in more revelation? Do we want to know more about him? And if you have no desire, you're not going to inquire. You're not going to ask. You're not going to seek. You're not going to study the word of God. But he, he asked a question, and, and, and Peter, finally, as he's thinking, says, I know. You, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He says, Simon, Barjona, son of Jonah, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. It wasn't a mental, intellectual exercise, but my father which is in heaven, is spiritual revelation. You allow the spirit to work in your brain, and you got a revelation. Now, you, you see exactly who I am. And Peter, because you see that, now you'll see that. You don't understand quite everything right now, but upon this rock, on this revelation of who I am, the spiritual revelation is what I'm going to build my church upon. And I'm going to give you the keys, and I'm going to let you open the door to the church's dispensation, beginning in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the Gentiles, to the othermost parts of the earth. See how important revelation is? Only God can give it. Only God can give it. You want to see some other examples? Look at Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 5. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. I've been going there. I enjoyed studying this. But what an amazing thing how Daniel had his understanding and knowledge and wisdom. You know, his understanding opened. God is the answer to every question that we have. He really is. Praise God. So 
the reason that, that, that uh, the Acts 2.30 is the universal plan of salvation because we see that it fulfills Jesus' prophecy and instruction as to the message, location, and time. Now, what we read to verse 45. Then opening you to understand that they might understand the scriptures. Let's go on a little bit. Look at verse 46. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved, Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that, watch this, repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name among all nations, beginning where? At Jerusalem. There's repentance and remission of sins. Beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Oh, well, you only heard about repentance and baptism. What about others? Well, verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And what did he say to the disciples on the day of the ascended? Acts 1 and 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That occurred at the same time as this passage. Amen. So there's, and Jesus is giving instructions both of repentance, or remission of sin in baptism, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's fulfilling Christ's instructions, and it fulfills his prophetic utterance as to when and where that's going to take place. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise that's the third reason. Reason number four. It coincides with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. the gospel. Acts chapter, Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us what it is, verse 1 through 4. Paul the apostle writing, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received wherein ye stand. Now he's writing to the Corinthian church. They've already heard the gospel. They received it. They accepted it. They believed it. And they experienced the benefits of it. They repented of their sins. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Spirit. And Paul is again going back to their original foundation experience to bring attention to certain things. So he says, now, now you received this and you're standing it. You're, you, you have attained it and you're saved. Verse 2, by which also ye are saved. If, everybody say if. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, there are three components of a process that we all need to identify with individually in order to be saved. In repentance, we identify with his death. In baptism, we identify with his burial. And in the receiving of the Holy Ghost, we, of course, uh, are partakers of his resurrection power. And we rise to live in the newness of the life of the Spirit. That's why Romans 8.10 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's reason number four. Hallelujah. 
Praise the name of the Lord. It because, it's because it coincides with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we call the gospel. The fifth reason is that it coincides with what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 5. Remember that? Nicodemus came in by night you know, and uh, asked questions. And, and uh, Jesus told him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, accept. Accept. Now, that's exclusionary. It's exclusive to those who accept it and experience it. Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If somebody's not born again, you can't enter into the kingdom. So we have to be born into the kingdom. I said it many times and for the new ones. And this is many times why we, of course, get back to Acts because we have many beginners. We have many new ones, and they have to know. Many of the old ones, you need to refresh yourself and get a refresher course and remember that you need to sow these seeds of faith and knowledge to many people outside of these doors who have never heard this. It's important. It's important to the first and early church. It should be important to us to this day because we cannot evangelize without it. So it coincides with what Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of one spirit. How do we get into heaven? Well, you have to be born into it. Just like we become citizens of this earth, of our country, we are born into it. And we have to be born into heaven through water and of the spirit the same way. Water and spirit. It's a birth from water and spirit. It's baptism by water and baptism by the spirit. The sixth reason why it is the universal plan of salvation because it was taught and obeyed by the early church. The early church taught it and not only taught it but obeyed it. And that's good enough reason for us to believe it, isn't it? Not just to believe but obey it. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 through 20, Paul the apostle writing to the church at Ephesus in Asia Minor, he says in verse 19, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles, not personally as people, but, but their message, their doctrine, their teaching. And uh, in, in the letter of, of John, the first John also says this, that they that hear us not are, are not with us. They're false. Hallelujah. In other words, if, if, if they don't hear us, if they don't follow the apostles' uh, doctrine and their teaching, that they're false uh, believers. John said that. Same one who said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so uh, Ephesians 2 tells us by Paul that, uh, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It was called by the apostle Paul, this gospel, the common, our common salvation. You look at Jude 1.3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, what it says, the, the faith, it's not talking about just faith in God. It's talking about the, 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 the faith, we meaning the, the ecclesiastical church core values, the core doctrines, 
And it goes back to what they were given in the beginning. That's what he's talking about. Contend for this, for this faith which was once delivered unto the saints, which was first delivered unto the saints. <clears throat> Paul says that. And in Titus 1, he writes, uh, referring to this, this doctrine and this message, the common faith. Common faith. Hallelujah. Common salvation. Common faith. Uh, he writes in verse 4 of Titus to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was preached by the church in Acts chapter 2. We talked about it. Jesus said to preach it in Luke 24 to all the nations of the world. And the early church taught it and believed it for hundreds of years. Wouldn't you think that it would stay that way? And yet, so-called ecclesiastical powers changed that doctrine. They didn't take it out of the Bible, but they changed what they said that the apostles taught. And you got to be careful. Hallelujah. So reason six, it was taught and obeyed by the early church. Now the seventh reason why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan of salvation because it coincides with the pattern of salvation revealed in the tabernacle of the wilderness. It was a sign or a shadow of good things to come. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 tells us that. That the law having a shadow of good things yet to come. Amen. So in, in the Old Testament we see shadows. In the New Testament we see the substance. You see it is a substance that makes shadow on Paul. Compares to through saying the Old Testament is just a shadow of what was yet to come. And what was yet to come with Christ and his cross and the New Testament plan of salvation. And he is the substance. And as the substance of his cross, it casts a giant shadow to the rear, to the Old Testament church. But remember how it is with God. God knows the end from the, to the beginning. From the end to the beginning. Hallelujah. He already knows that he had, had the man. When he created the heavens and the earth, he already had the end in mind. We start from the other way around. We plan it out here and we see where we're going to go. Well, God knows the end and then he starts to develop it and go through it. And amazingly, he knows the consequences along the way. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise God. Well, <clears throat> So uh, in the New Testament, it's the substance, and you have to go by the way of repentance, by the brazen altar. You have to go by the way of the brazen labor, which was water baptism. You have to go into the holiest of holies for the spirit. There it is, repentance, baptism, spirit. Uh, it, is, it is continuous in the plan of God. Hallelujah. So the seventh reason, because it, it uh, coincides with the plan revealed in the tabernacle, which also carried over to the temple, right? Solomon's temple, the second temple. After that, hallelujah, praise the name of the Lord. The eighth reason why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan of salvation because it coincides with the foundational doctrines of the church as described in Hebrews chapter 6. Now only I'm referring to verse 1 and 2 and 3 I add in there for good measure. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 if you have your Bible. Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now. Don't misunderstand. He's not saying forget the, the, the foundation. He's trying to encourage these Hebrew Christians who came out of ceremonial, uh, ritualistic Israelites 
who are clinging to their rituals so much that they're, they're having difficulty going beyond the initial experience of salvation and going deeper into their spiritual experience with God. And so he says, you know, you, you can't just stay at the foundational. You can't stay with the basics. God's plan for you is to keep progressing and, and growing in Christ, getting higher up than where you are right now. And so in describing this, this, pro, this process, he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation. Now, notice he mentions the foundation. What is the foundation of repentance from dead works? meaning turning away from the, the Old Testament law. But it mentions repentance. That's part, though, of our, of our plan of salvation in turning to God and faith toward God. So that's part of the foundation. Yes, we need to repent. Yes, we need to have faith in God. And verse 2, of doctrine of baptisms. Notice it's plural. He's speaking here of water baptism and spirit baptism. It's part of the foundation. It's part of the foundational principles and of laying on of hands, right? As Jesus taught in Mark chapter 16 also, shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And in, in, uh, in, in the epistles, Paul says, lay hands on no man suddenly. The doctrine of, of how to lay on of hands and who to lay hands on and when not to. Amen. The doctrine of laying on of hands and the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Meaning what? It's not only that Christ rose from the dead, but also that you and I will be raised from the dead. That we all will be raised to judgment. One way or another, we will be raised into eternal life or we will be raised to judgment and into an eternal hell. That's foundational. We need to know that. But we need to move beyond that and grow in grace and, and get to know God and his kingdom and his ways a whole lot better than just this foundational basic subjects. So he said... Resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Yeah, that's a good motivating factor to keep us on the straight and narrow, right? Amen. A healthy fear of God is good for us. It's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for your children. When you threaten them, you better not or I'll... It helps. Not always, but it helps. Hey, even God's threat of eternal judgment don't scare some people. Otherwise, our altars and our churches would be full. A lot more people would repent if they believed it. But for you and I, who have experienced with God a personal relationship, we know it's real. And we know that, that there is a judgment. Hallelujah. We want to be ready. We want to make sure that our heart and our life is clean, that our conscience is pure before God. We're going to make sure that we act right, walk right. Hallelujah. And spit white, as they used to say. They used to say that because they used to chew tobacco all the time. That right, Sister Switzer. Some people thought they would be okay to chew tobacco. And when they spit, you know, be all brownish and miscolored. Hallelujah. Which I mean, reminds me, I have a joke about that, but I'm not going to say that right now. Act right, walk right, talk white, and spit white. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. I'm in trouble now. I'm off track. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. But he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance, baptisms, water, and spirit. 
let us go on to perfection. And that's not going to be perfect. We eventually will be perfect when we get on the other side, when we get a glorified body. But until then, he's talking about completion. It's completing, allowing God to complete the work in us that he began when we were born again. Of course, really, he began to work in us when he was just drawing us to the truth, right? I mean, even before you were born again, even before you got to an altar and you repented of your sins, he was working on you. He began to work on you. He, he sent somebody to witness to you, and he, he did kindness and good things for you and to you. Amen. And we knew that, that it, it, we didn't deserve it, yet God was so good to us. Hallelujah. That's why that song, you know, sing about uh, the goodness of God. It touches me every time we sing it. I'll tell you what. Hallelujah. His goodness. Hallelujah. And I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, my, what, a, what an awesome song. I wake up many mornings just singing a song in my mind. I wish I could sing it like you guys do. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can in the shower, and I sound so good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Too bad you can't hear it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. It, it's, but I love that song. Let us go on to perfection. And it shows that, that you know, God has us on this, on this progression, on this progressive process unto completion. You have to understand, he's not done with it yet, with us yet. Just because we get born again, you know that. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm repeated anyway because you may need to repeat it to or to somebody on the street. Maybe I just need to refresh your memory, right? Hallelujah. <clears throat> that we, we, the, 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 the start is just a start. The born again process. When the baby is born from mother's womb, we just don't forget him and throw him out. Okay, now go to it. Go get a job. You know? It doesn't work that way. Same thing in the spiritual realm. Somebody just gets born again with the water and the spirit, and we don't, we don't leave them to themselves. And we, we, you know, we, we've, got to, we've, we've got to take care of them. And it comes with teaching and training, just like potty training, right, with the kids. You teach them what no is, and you, you know, teach them what's good and what's bad. And say, oh, don't touch that. That's hot. You know, it's, there's things that, that they learn in this process uh, 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 to, how to walk in the spirit and avoid the things that are very hurtful and, uh, and are very consequential. So, so it, it's, a, it's a progressive process until God completes that work that he began in us. Hallelujah. So we have to, we have to be careful, amen, that we don't, we don't give up on this message here. We've, we've got to love this message, amen. You know, don't let anybody talk you out of this this message by, you know, having you focus on some ancient old creed that doesn't line up with Scripture and doesn't harmonize with sound doctrine. You've got to be careful. There are a lot of, a lot of deceivers out there. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 5, he says, there shall many false Christs shall come in my name and shall deceive many. He said, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. They will. And there's a lot of people out there today who are deceived. And I feel for them. I'm not condemning them. I am I'm honestly, truly sorry for them. And I pity them. I love them. And I want to reach them with the message of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. They really don't know who Jesus is. They think they do. And they think they're all right, and they, they think they're okay by following a creed and just wrote, repeating a certain prayer 
or going to church and, and doing certain rituals and everything's okay. No, no, that's not the will of God. How, how sad it is to reduce an experience with God to such mean, meaning such low estate, low uh, 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 acts of, of ritualism. It's sad. And so, so we, we need to go back to the beginning uh, of the church. We need to value that what happened in the book of Acts. And it's when, when Peter spoke in Acts chapter 11, you know, when he was called in on a carpet because he went to Cornelius' house. And, uh, you know, Jews weren't supposed to go to Gentiles' house. And he did. And he went back to Jerusalem. The elders of Jerusalem said, wow, what did you do that for? And he told them what happened, you know, the story, how the angel appeared to Cornelius and he sent for messengers to, to, to get Paul and Paul, to get Peter and Paul, Peter, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Peter indeed finally went with those messengers and he preached to Cornelius, the Holy Ghost fell. And this is interesting what, what Peter said to the elders. As I began to speak, Acts eleven fifteen. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Peter even referred back to the beginning. Hallelujah. It's good for us always as the church to go and look back at our beginning. And I'm not just talking about our beginning when, when we repented and became a Christian. I'm talking about going back to the roots of the church. I'm talking about the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. Hallelujah. It is the foundation. It is the beginning. Everybody say praise the Lord. That was reason number eight. Reason number nine why Acts 2.38 is the universal plan of salvation because it's consistent with God's creation in the beginning and throughout biblical history. Genesis 1 and 1, verse, and 1 verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And here we go. You know it. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. When God created the universe... There was spirit and there was water. That was the precedence. And that is something that he wove through the entire history of humanity, particularly through his people, Israel. When God gives birth to the nation of Israel, I'm not talking about Abraham, I'm talking about the nation of Israel coming from Egypt, led by his spirit, he led the masses of people through the Red Sea. There's spirit and there's water. We see the spirit of water in the tabernacle plan and in the temple of Solomon in the second temple. Then we, we hear the preaching of John the Baptist still under the Old Testament. He preached repentance and, and, and water and spirit. Everyone he baptized, he said, I now baptize with you with water unto repentance. But the one who's coming after me, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He preached repentance, he preached baptism, and he preached the coming of the Holy Ghost. It's consistent, it coincides with biblical history and with all of us prophets and, and of, of, of course, more than anyone, John the Baptist, the the chiefest of the prophets that Jesus called him. Jesus said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he said who he's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
It's an Old Testament context. John the Baptist was the greatest. He had a six-month-long ministry, and he was the precursor and the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He preached repentance, baptism, and cleansing and preparation for commitment to serving God. And then, of course, he preached that the one who's coming after him, he's going to be baptizing folks with the Holy Ghost. So he said to expect it. In Acts chapter 19, we see it's exactly what Paul referred to when he met those Baptist disciples and reminded them of what John was preaching. So remember when John baptized you or some of his disciples may have baptized you? All of them said the same things. We baptize you to repentance, but there's coming somebody else who's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. That's why Paul asked them, Acts chapter 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Right? And he said, no, we haven't even heard so much of the Holy Ghost. Is, is there a Holy Ghost? I said, yeah, there is. And they preached Jesus unto them. Next thing you know, he laid his hands on them, the doctrine of the laying off hands. They're still at the foundational level. They received the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues. There were 12 of them, right? Acts chapter 19 tells us. So Jesus preached repentance and water and spirit. You know, Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He preached water and spirit to Nicodemus. Except the man be born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The apostles in the early church preached him. We also see it in a natural birth and water and spirit. And we see it in spiritual birth. You know, natural birth. How do, I like to use it all the time. Amen. When a woman conceives in her womb, that, that seed begins to grow. And, and that child is surrounded by water. And then when she comes out of the birth canal, it's time for her to be born. He draws his first breath. First breath. Amen. Spirit. Ruach. It's the same in, in Greek. Uh, one word for the same word. Wind. Spirit. And it's breath. Hallelujah. And air. It's all the same thing. Ruach or pneumia. Praise God. So when, when the child is born, it takes a breath of spirit. Amen. Water and spirit, there it's, it's there in creation, it's there in biblical history in many areas, and it's there in natural birth, and there it is in spiritual birth. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. And finally, reason number 10, hallelujah. So reason number nine was this consistent with God's creation in the beginning. The 10th reason is because there's no other gospel. Any other gospel... It purports to be a gospel is a curse. I said any other gospel than this that was delivered to us in the Bible by the apostles is a curse. The Bible says so. But, but this gospel was established once and for all, and that's just for a short time in the apostles' time. It didn't change after the apostles died. There is no other gospel. There's no other way. Just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In fact, he said, if anybody tries to come to the Father any other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And there's a lot of folks out there that try to rob you of your salvation and of your knowledge and your understanding. This is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, very, very strong statement by the apostle Paul. You know, who, who, who was a man who believed that he was a man of all seasons, a man of all cultures. says, you know, I, 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 I become a Greek to the, to the Greek if I want to win the Greek. I'll become a Roman to the Romans if I want to win the Romans. I'll be, become circumcised and a Hebrew to the Hebrews if I want to win them. In other words, I come to them on, all, on their own cultural level. 
It's not that he compromises his faith, but he, he comes to them, approaching them, you know, not emphasizing and accentuating the differences, but he focuses on the similarities. Amen. And he begins to use that and, and builds upon it, capitalizes on it, and he begins to win souls. But in the book of Galatians, he's pretty strong because, you know, the Galatians uh, were, were, were deceived by these so-called Judaizers, as they were called, <clears throat> people who were Christians, but they were Jews, and they're going around telling Jewish Christians that, you know what, even though you were born again of the water of the Spirit, you still need to be circumcised, you still need to do some Jewish uh, ceremonial rituals, and you can't do that, otherwise you just can't be saved. And Paul was upset. He's getting all these reports, all these people going back to their Judaistic rituals. And he says, my, my, how, I marvel at how soon you have departed from this gospel to another gospel, which is not another gospel because there's only one. And therefore, he's very strong when he says this in verse 8 and 9. He says, but though we, now notice this, this is so powerful. Paul goes on to protect this gospel message and the truth of it, even against himself and all the other apostles. He said, now, if we, me or any other apostle comes back to you and starts preaching to you some other gospel, and then what you have already heard from us deliver, you consider us being cursed. And that's why he's saying, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again a second time. You know, that second time is a very powerful concept in the Bible. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And when you got two witnesses, you can have capital punishment. Two witnesses, you know, Paul is saying two times, he's essentially saying to Hebrew-minded Christians, saying, you better pay attention to what I'm saying. There is no other gospel. And as we said before, I say it again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have which ye have received, let him be accursed. That's a cursed person and a cursed gospel because it perverts the truth and the intent and the message of Jesus Christ. And it does not result in anything good. It leaves a man wanting and a woman, anybody. It leaves a, a, a soul who's hungry for God a lot less than what God intended for them. In fact, it leaves them without salvation because they are suffering from gross deception. And I know that, you know, uh, just as with the Galatians, there are those that have left us in our midst. We all know people that have walked away from this. But, you know, we, we have to be careful how we, how we relate to them. We have to be kind. We have to speak the truth in love. But I know that many even who have left, uh, they, you know, they, 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 never, they never quite get away from oneness of the Godhead or, or Acts 2.38. They don't. A lot of them may just may speak against it. Uh, but most of, them, most of them don't. Amen. And, and there'll be a time when they'll come back. I, I think so. I really do. And it's not when, it's not if, rather, it's rather when. I think as, as, as time goes on, as we're getting into the, the pre-tribulation period here, 
you know, again, things things going to happen, and and, uh, and people are going to be really shaken. They're going to be looking for truth. Going to be looking for God, and uh, they're going to be reexamining their their path and, uh, and and the way that they have been walking with God. So they'll they'll be back. Many of them will be back. Hallelujah. And so Jesus asked his his twelve disciples. By the way, you know, in John chapter six, uh, there was a, a place where Jesus told them in in, in a uh, figurative way that except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he cannot be my disciple. And these Jews, you know, who are totally forbidden of, of drinking blood and, and, and eating human flesh, uh, were totally offended, and they, they left by the droves. And Jesus didn't, you know, mean it, you know, uh, uh, literally. He meant it figuratively, spiritually speaking. He's really speaking about communion, the future Tense of communion, drinking that wine the symbolically and the bread, which is his body, which is going to be broken for many. But they didn't understand that. You see, they had no revelation. See how important revelation is? If you don't have revelation, you're going to walk away from Christ because you don't understand some things. We've got to seek God. We've got to have understanding. We've got to have knowledge. But, you know, just having knowledge of facts does not give you revelation. It does not allow you to put the facts together in the context that, that God wants us to have it. We need revelation. Praise God. And so these disciples went away from Jesus and, and Jesus is standing there looking around and all he's got is his 12 disciples. He's the only God is his 12. He looks to the 12 in John chapter 6, 61 and he says this, will ye, go, will you, will ye also go away? And Peter breaks the silence and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Lord, where can we go? Can I ask you, if you leave the church, where are you going to go? If you, if, if you know this truth, you're going to go. Where are you going to go? Who, who really has the words of eternal life? Where is it that you can find it on earth? Only in the house of God, in the church of the living God, one who practices and preaches what the early church did. Oh, hallelujah. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We've got to, we've got to know the truth. We've got to love the truth. We've got to hold on to this gospel church. We've got to hold on to it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You know, it's so easy to let some of these things slip. This is why I'm going back to the foundation, back to the message. Don't let it slip. Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Stand with me if you would. How shall we escape if we neglect? Neglect. Everybody say neglect. neglect. You know, neglect is, is something, a word I woke up with a couple of days ago. I thought about neglect and thought about this scripture. We're people who are neglectful. We really are. In our flesh... Our tendency is to be neglectful. 
We neglect our prayer. We neglect our Bibles. Many times we neglect church. Many times we neglect God. We neglect our marriage. We neglect our relationship with our family and our kids. We neglect our health. We neglect our diet. Well, we neglect our finances. We neglect the talents and the potential that's on the inside of us that's laying dormant, and we choose not to do anything about it. We've got so much talent that God has put in us and make excuses for not developing it. God help us that we don't neglect this salvation that God gave us free. Neglecting to the point that we don't experience the greater things of God simply because of neglect and just not interested. You know, Jesus still wants us to come. He wants you and I to have a better relationship with him. He wants you and I to know him better and more than we know him now. We start at the beginning, at the foundation, yes. That's not where he wants us to, to stay. What would happen if we'd start sharing this message? We talked about end time revival so much. What if we just sowed the seed of revival, the seed of Acts 2.38 salvation to those who don't know? Spiritual seed. Jesus made it a point to invite folks all throughout his ministry. In fact, there's seven invitations of Christ recorded in the New Testament. One is in Matthew 11, 28. It says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The second is in John 1, 39. Come and see, he said to Philip and Andrew. Lord, where are you staying? He says, come and see. Come. Revelation 22, 17. Let him that is at thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Come. John 21, 17, uh, 21, 12. In the gospel, come and dine. The resurrected Christ with fish on the fire. Come and dine. The master call it, right? Mark 6, 31. Come, ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Matthew 25, 34. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the seventh one, Mark's 10, 21. One thing thou lackest, telling to the rich young ruler, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow Come, take up your cross. Follow me. We need more people who are followers of Jesus. We're in the process, just not even starting yet, of revamping, redoing youth ministry, kids ministry, and church service, so on. But we want to be better than we've ever been before. Not that we haven't done good. We have. Enough people have worked so hard. You all have worked so hard in all that you have done. But we're going to change things up. We're going, to, we're going to give you rest for a while here. Jesus said, come apart, lest you come apart. You know, you know the old adage. 
But we, got, we do have work to do. You know, it's interesting. I came across some statistics on, on a survey done on, by, by some child evangelism group. And they said that 1% of children are saved by the age 4. 85% are saved between the ages of 4 and 15. 85%. 10% are saved between the ages of 15 and 30. And only 4%. 4% are saved after the age 30. I fell in the third category, 10%. Age 15, I was 22. I didn't have Sunday school. I'd never been to Sunday school. Sunday school and church was forbidden when I went to school in Hungary under communism. But folks, Jesus is coming soon, and we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's not the judgment, you know, it's... We're there to be examined. It's where the rewards are passed out. If all our works are tried by fire, our souls saved, but the rewards may be either gain or loss. But he's going to ask us what we have done with the seed of hope and faith with the gospel. Have we hoarded those seeds in a bag and put it in the, in the, in the barn somewhere? Or, or have we taken those seeds and abundantly sowed our workplace and in in our streets or wherever we have gone. I want a revival. I want to see it. He's coming soon. And we've got to reach people with this message. And I'm thankful for this message. The Acts 2.38 message is still the universal plan of salvation. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just lift your hands and just thank God for that message. Oh, Lord Almighty God, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, my God and Savior, thank you for that message that saved me. Thank you for that message that saves my family. Thank you, Lord, for that message that you provided to save the entire world, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every color. Lord, this is your plan for all nations. Help us, oh God, never to let it slip. Help us not to neglect it, O oh God. Help us to be the bearers of your car, cross. Help us, O oh God, to come near to you and to pursue after you and after knowledge and understanding and revelation and gifts of the Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles. God, we need your help to be the church that this 21st century world needs. Help us, O oh God, to come to the place of completion and perfection that you could use us in a greater way. Oh, would you just reach out and talk to the Lord? Would you talk to the Lord right now? Would you please talk to the Lord? Your way, come on, let him hear your voice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to open a door for you to witness to somebody. Ask the Lord to help you to sow this seed into somebody's heart. The world needs Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.